0: I'd like to invite you along the Camino with me. I'm Holly Brock and welcome to the playful ponderings of my particular pilgrimage along the Camino de Santiago. Well, I felt in my soul that there was another story Or shall I say that there was more to the story? So although this is kind of like an epilogue to all the stories that were inspired by my walk along the Camino de Santiago, this is not just any epilogue. This is an epilogue about the epicenter. Enjoy. (laughs) But wait, there's more to the story. At the very end of my pilgrimage along the Camino de Santiago, I had just yelled, headed home, Lord, headed home, while standing by that stone cross perched on top of that rocky hill in the town of Muxia, which is nestled on a little peninsula off the northwest coast of Spain. But that wasn't the end of this story. It's true that this place was indeed the final point for me on the Camino de Santiago and that I would head home, back home to Georgia the following day, which is why I had yelled, headed home. And it was because I didn't think anyone else was around that I had yelled it. But that was not the end of the story. Because after I yelled, headed home, Lord, I turned to find Him, the Lord, mind you, God in flesh unveiled, mind you, sitting at the foot of that stone cross. And seeing him there took my breath away. I wasn't having trouble breathing because I was seeing Jesus in Spain. In fact, along the Camino, I had become quite familiar with his warm presence. Together, we had walked many miles, rode on a motorcycle and planted a peach tree. He had valiantly rescued me from the advances of a Spanish gentleman, sat with me on the beach at the end of the earth, and stared down a bull. No, what was taking my breath away at this moment was the historical context that was superimposing itself on this scene of Jesus leaning back against a cross. And like a color by number picture, the more this beautiful October day and the 21st century in Spain was colored in by what it meant for Jesus to be by a cross in the Middle East two millennia ago, the harder it was for me to breathe. 2,000 years ago, nobody would have chosen the foot of a cross as a place to rest. In fact, most wouldn't be caught dead anywhere near one. Although ironically, that's actually a very accurate way of describing it. Yet here he was, Jesus, who had undergone everything brutal and gruesome and terrifying that a cross could inflict, sitting peacefully and thoroughly relaxing at the foot of one. He was breathing just fine while I seemed to be hyperventilating and becoming increasingly lightheaded. He seemed to know what was happening, but simply smiled at me and closed his eyes and other than taking big crunchy bites of the apple he was eating, remained very still. I realized that Jesus looked just like many other pilgrims at this point, boots and pack off, enjoying the rest that is particular to a pilgrim who has walked many miles for many days. I took this chance with the sun illuminating his face, to take a long look at him and really see him. You know what I mean. Those details that register only when a person doesn't know or doesn't mind that he or she is being observed. I noticed a deep furrow in his brow. He wasn't oblivious to the gravity of this scene. I noticed a small swath of silver hair growing from from his right temple, He wasn't immune to the suffering that a cross could inflict, and I now could see the gruesome scars in his strong wrists and ankles. He hadn't avoided the horror that could be accomplished by means of a cross. In fact, this was a man who had endured the full extent of a cross, even unto death, yet was now fully alive, resting at the foot of one. Everyone has a story, but I knew Jesus as well. This was a man who, after a night of being arrested, mocked, and beaten, had been ordered to drag the heavy wooden structure of the cross, the very instrument of his death, through a jeering crowd and up a hill, a man who felt his hands and feet nailed to it by cold-hearted hammer blows and like insult upon injury was jarred as the cross was lifted up and shoved into the footer dug for it. Yet even while dying, this man had spoken life. Even through the agony of lifting the weight of his own body for the breath to say it, spoke tenderly to his mother and best friends who wept nearby invited his neighbor into paradise with him that day and forgave all who had done this to him. Every labored breath becoming the struggle for the life that he was preparing to surrender. Every breath demonstrating Jesus's passion, his willingness to suffer for love. Blood from the crown of thorns and sweat of struggle dripping down his face and blurring his vision but never his resolve. It was the son of God who hung on that cross and it was there that he demonstrated the full extent of the father's love for us. I was brought back from these age old images by the succulent crunch of Jesus taking another bite from the apple. He was still leaning back against that stone cross, but he had opened his eyes and was looking at me. He patted the spot next to him, and if there ever was a time that I felt confident to sit at the foot of a cross, it was with him. Because for all of the agony I knew he had endured, I also knew the end of the story. I followed his lead, sat down beside him, and leaned back on him as he leaned back on the cross. Leaning into Jesus, I felt myself become very still. In fact, everything became very still, like an orchestra waiting for the maestro's cue. I guess I had even been holding my breath because suddenly and voluntarily I heaved a deep sigh, and I felt Jesus do the same. There was a pause about the count of a Mississippi three, and then, like we were part of some cosmic dance being divinely synchronized, together took a deep breath in. Maybe you have felt this before, and otherwise it might sound strange, but we remain there for the next long moments at the foot of the cross in the simple ecstasy of breathing deeply. A rhythm emerged, and after a few moments, I, moments, I realized what it sounded like. The simple act of breathing in and breathing out were sounding out the sacred name of God. And then it seemed that all of creation was breathing too, the creator's name being echoed back with the very breath of life that he had given to it, breathing in, breathing out this thing I do all the time that I have done since birth and will do until I die that all of us are doing even now. But I had no idea the extent of what was really happening until I breathed with Jesus breathing in. Breathing out with love. And although it's true that this is all Jesus and I were doing, it was not all that was being done. Because with every breath, the image of Jesus on the cross remained central. I saw more and more clearly that Jesus' passion is the central theme. That Jesus isn't just important. He is in whom we live and breathe and have our being. He is the center of all and in whom all things hold together. Like the cross, which is in essence an intersection of two things, Jesus himself holds the center of a powerful intersection. The intersection of two wooden beams forms a natural cross. The intersection of two aspects of God, God's love, like mercy and truth, forms a supernatural cross. And the intersection of the natural and supernatural creates a savior in whom mercy and truth kiss each other. The son of God who holds that profound center where divinity and humanity, heaven and earth, power and sacrifice meet. And in him, existence becomes breathing in the love and goodwill that God is and breathing out the fear and shame that compels us to separate from him. Breathe in, breathe out the Savior who graciously holds the center. We kept breathing, and as if this wasn't enough, now I saw that there was more to the story. I began to see the current reality that the cross points to, the fact that God's love has not only been anchored deep into the foundations of the earth, but that it is even now actively reaching to the farthest corners of the world. Because the cross was the moment when God's love was fully revealed by means of Jesus becoming Christ. The cross where our creator also became our savior. Jesus Christ who holds that center, yes, but then mystery upon mystery then becomes the epicenter His sacrifice on that natural cross set the stage for what came next, his resurrection from the dead, having the force of a supernatural atomic bomb, sending a renewed blast of life thundering through every atom of creation and mystery upon mystery, rather than using fission, the way of the world where matter is split, he used fusion, a bringing together, which is 10 times more powerful. This wave of redemption and restoration ushered in a whole new reality, the kingdom of heaven. His world and our world hadn't just intersected experientially, but ontologically, where the world would never be the same again. This breath of new life that changed the world forever and that still breathes through all of creation and into the hearts of those that listen, breathe in. Breathe out Jesus Christ, the epicenter of all. We sat there together for a long while as Jesus finished his apple, the sun warming us as it traced a faithful line west. After taking the last bite, he threw the core surprisingly far out into the ocean, and we watched it bob merrily away on the waves. I was overwhelmed with a sense of profound security, that peace that passes understanding. I never wanted this moment to end. And I turned suddenly to tell him that and found him, with utter knowing in his eyes, already looking at me. He must have known what was getting ready to happen, because as he calmly held my gaze, I felt a wave of alarm rise up in me. My dismay was because this was beginning to seem like the kind of moment that precedes a goodbye. A latent fear, one that I had tried to suppress for a while, rose up in me now like a tidal wave. I was terrified that Jesus was saying goodbye, that he was giving me the look that meant, sure has been fun, but I had this urge to throw my arms around him. Tomorrow I would make my way back home. Was this the big finale? When I no longer walked along the Camino de Santiago, would I not walk with him again? Was the end of my pilgrimage the end of our pilgrimage? The look on my face must have been really dramatic because I began to notice the corners of Jesus's mouth begin to turn up. He tried to hold his smile back, but is human after all, and gave up trying. And as always, his smile brought me back to him and reminded me to breathe. So I just kept looking into his eyes and perhaps by means of looking into his eyes, I was able to breathe again because here he was, the center of all creation, breathing these very human breaths with me, breathing over all of creation, but also breathing like it, That although Jesus is the epicenter in whom all space and time and all of our experience and of the whole creation holds together, he is also always findable personally in particular time and space. Like the mystery of quantum physics where matter is somehow a particle, yes, but also a wave. He seemed to be saying yes, I am absolutely everywhere at all times, but you can always find me. I meant it when I said that I will never leave you nor forsake you. Seek and you will find me. And if you get lost, if it helps, go back to the foot of a cross. Come find me there because I am at the center. Let it remind you that I am love and the epicenter of life Let the symbol of the crosses across the world be like a string of lights leading you back to me, in whom truth and mercy kiss, and then with most tender power kisses you. And kind of like that day when the bull was charging us, I just kept looking at Jesus and breathing, and that was enough. I knew then that even though it would no longer be along this Camino, I would walk with him again still smiling he pulled me to my feet and with what I can only describe as a cowboy accent said see you soon darling now get on home